Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Wednesday, April 8th. We begin with our continuing series, Ask the Doctor. Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the U of C, joins us to answer all of your COVID-19 questions. Next, we catch up with David Aiken, Global Senior Political Correspondent, with details on an improved federal government wage subsidy program designed to help Canadian businesses. Then we look at Premier Jason Kenney's provincial address from last night. Pollster and political columnist Janet Brown shares her thoughts on the Premier's message. It's an important time of the year for those of the Jewish faith. We speak with a Calgary rabbi on the significance of Passover and how the holiday will look different this year due to the pandemic. And finally, it's a great online resource for our kids and the whole family. Nirmala Naidu joins us with details on the learning tools and the rain barrels we can get through Green Calgary. We're very happy that Mayor Nahid Nenshi gives us his time every week during this COVID-19 pandemic, and today is no different. Good morning, Mayor. Good morning. Uh, Happy Easter. Uh, Blessed Passover to everyone. It's Mm -hmm. a very, very important time for people of faith, and I know it's tough that we can't get together with our families uh, at this time. But, you know, both Passover and Easter are stories of freedom from constriction. They are stories about rebirth and resurrection. And so I am using this time to remain very hopeful. I think hopefully that we all are, right? We've got to look forward. We will come out of this at the end. So we need to be positive until we get to that point. I wanted to ask you in the meantime, are you wearing a mask now, Mayor? Well, you know, I'm really thinking about it um, because we've had new public health guidelines come out. And I, I want to clarify what those guidelines are. The regular sort of homemade or cloth masks, they're not really meant to protect you. They are meant to protect others from you um, because they will hold in a little bit your coughs. um, But if someone else coughs at you, they'll still go through. So I want people to know that, you know, we have now a recommendation that you should wear a mask when social distancing is not possible. So if you're in the grocery store and it's hard to keep six feet um, or if you're taking public transit, uh, the recommendation now is that you ought to wear the mask uh, mostly to protect others, but also a little bit um, so you feel a bit better. But what I don't want people to do is I don't want people to get overconfident and think because I'm wearing this bandana or this mask over my face, I don't have to worry about physical distancing. I can do other things. That is not at all true. So even if you have five people in an elevator um, and four are wearing masks and the fifth one coughs, the other four will likely get ill. Let's talk about the life of a mayor because this is something we've not uh, spoke about. You literally are living that uh, you know, social distancing and isolated life. You're still getting your job done. We hear you on the radio and TV, but you go to very few places day to day, which is vastly different than what you might have done three weeks ago even. Yeah, sure. You know, on a typical weekend uh, before all of this, I could do anywhere between 10 and 40 community events uh, in every corner of the city. It was not uncommon for me on a Saturday to do 300 kilometers all within the city of Calgary. Uh, So now it's very different. I'm mostly working from home. Um, I go to the emergency operations center three times a week to do our press conferences, which have no press at them, by the way. Mm -hmm. Everyone's on the phone. Um, And if there is a meeting at City Hall that I have to chair, then I'm the only one sitting in council chambers. Everyone else is working remotely, and I'm sitting in this big empty room. But I'm being careful, and I have to be careful. You know, I've got a 79-year-old roommate, my mom, and I certainly don't want to bring anything home to her. 
And I also have to realize that my actions impact, just like everyone's do, everyone else in the community. And so, as I've been saying for a long time, our fate is in our own hands. It's in our own clean hands. And I think all of us have to model that behavior. Mm-hmm. Mira, I want to just kind of change topics just quickly and talk to you. We saw you the other day. You were the only one at City Council. Um, yes. The others were all uh, teleconferencing in, but it was all well, about... All but one who randomly showed up. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, there, there are no cameras at home, I guess. The talk was all about taxes and, and, and the tax increase coming down for homeowners. I don't think it was unexpected, but right now people are looking for financial relief and that's not going to really do much, even just deferring a few months. Are you hearing criticisms about that? A little bit, but I want to be very clear, which is, you know, what we wanted to do is within the powers and the financial situation we have, we wanted to make sure that people just aren't worried about their property tax bill coming in June. And so what we've done is we've put in a program where if you are unable to pay your monthly property tax bill or your, if you're on the yearly program, uh, your yearly bill in June, you just don't have to worry about it. Uh, so you can pay it, you can pay a portion of it, or you can not worry about it until the end of September, which is what matches what the province is doing. I'd love to be able to do more. I'd love to be able to waive or forgive a portion of it, but given the way the city's finances work, that's just not possible. But we do continue to work with the uh, province and the federal government to see if they can offer us a backstop, which will allow us either to just forgive a portion of it or perhaps defer it over a longer period of time. Um, but right now, uh, you know, cities cannot easily run deficits, for example. And uh, unlike the provincial and federal governments, we don't have access to the same kind of borrowing that they do. So at the very least, we wanted to say to people, you know, you can exhale and not worry about it right now. But that also gives us time to think about if it's possible to have a better solution for folks. Mayor, we have 20 seconds left. I'm wondering what message you'd like to give to Calgarians as we move into the long weekend. You know, it hasn't really changed. Clean hands, clear heads, open hearts. Remember, remember, remember the sacrifice we're being asked to make. Stay home if you can. Be kind to everyone. Together we'll save lives. Thank you very much and happy Easter to you. Thank you. Happy Easter, everyone. Mayor Nahed Nenshi. 811 now modeling just released this morning by federal public health officials lays out three different potential scenarios about COVID-19 based on strong, medium and weak responses to containing this virus. And the numbers this morning released by Dr. Teresa Tam, Chief Public Health Officer of Canada, say the coronavirus could cost 11,000 to 22,000 Canadian lives over the course of this pandemic. And that's the best case scenario with the strongest control measures. They do say it's important to note that projections are not carved in stone. They are estimates based on the best available data so far and that data can and does change regularly. You look at the numbers right now, we have 19,276 cases in our nation, 435 deaths and 4,653 recovering from COVID-19. If we're not strong with the controls, they say, if we're weak with controlling the spread of this, the deaths could spike to more than 100,000 in Canada. Wow, incredible stuff there. And uh, we do have, again, this press conference with uh, Dr. Theresa Tam, Canada's Chief Public Health Officer, took place about a half hour, 45 minutes ago, and she did take questions. The first question out the gate for Dr. Tam was, can we do more than what we already have in place publicly? Or are we doing everything that can and needs to be done right now? Well, I think um, in the last weeks, a lot has been done. 
and we would need to monitor every single day the evolution of the outbreak and the uh, trajectory so that we ha can recalibrate as, as needed. So depending on where that curve is bending downwards or if we need to do more in order to um, ensure that that is what's happening. So it is a pretty dynamic process. However, we are trying to improve um, on every aspect of our response as we speak. For example, we are doing a number of efforts, um, different, different um, approaches to enhance our testing, lab testing capacity, for example, right now, because we know that a key part of um, our staying on course for that green zone is to uh, ensure that we are detecting cases and we are managing contacts. So we're learning from across the country how best to um, uh, do contact tracing, trying to enforce the human resources that might be needed to do that, looking at whether technology can help with contact tracing. Um, these are all happening right now and supporting people in self-isolation. And so, um, but the sort of short question is, yes, we will continue on all of these fronts to just make sure that we stay on course, but we really got to look at the dynamic situation every single day as we speak. And as a follow-up, I, I, I think you, you, you mentioned it as, uh, in your presentation, but when do you expect the peak uh, to happen? Can we talk about it nationally? Because I know in Quebec they talked about uh, 18th of April. In Alberta, I think they talked about mid-May. Um, is there a peak? Is there such a thing as a peak date for Canada? Well, Canada, as I've said, the, our uh, epidemic curve is a composite then of all the different uh, curves in the different jurisdictions. Um, so um, for sure, we need to look very carefully at each of the provincial trajectories uh, on top of the, the Canada uh, aggregate. So I actually think the aggregate Canadian curve really doesn't tell the complete story. You do have to break it down into the different um, uh, provinces and territories. What I will say is, of course, we're looking for signs of that bending of that curve, the slowing down of that growth rate. But because of, um, as I've mentioned always, the delay in uh, when someone got infected to the time that they are diagnosed, tested and reported, that could be a space of at least two weeks. And during that time, you have to be really cautious. You don't actually know the peak until you've passed the peak. That always happens. You can't tell whether you've reached the peak until after the peak had actually been realized. And so um, I would just take it uh, a day at a time and look very carefully in the coming weeks. I've said in some areas of the country, this week is very important, the next week is very important. That timing of when that peak might occur can occur at different times uh, um, during the in different parts of the country. Uh, as I said, what I really want to emphasize is that even if you're seeing some bend and that peak retrospectively occur, the downward slope, if you look at the downward slope, there's 50% of the cases that that's a symmetric curve still occurs on that downside of the slope. You cannot let go of those public health measures if you see that downturn.
Again, with strong control measures, the federal public health agency projecting 11,000 to 22,000 Canadians could die of COVID-19 in the coming months. We'll have more details on these numbers throughout the day right here on 770 CHQR. Earlier this week, Dr. Teresa Tam said wearing a homemade mask might be an additional measure that you could if you want to take to protect from COVID-19. But does it mean you should make your own? We're not supposed to wear the N95 masks, leaving those for frontline workers. So to talk about this, we're joined this morning by national lifestyle reporter Megan Cauley, who's been looking into these questions. Hi, Megan. Hi, how's it going? Excellent. Thank you. So are you at home madly sewing your own masks? I'm not. I actually haven't been in the outside world for like weeks now. I'm very <laughs> lucky to have a parent who's taking that responsibility for me. <laughs> That's a good thing. So what qualifies actually as a homemade mask to be serious about it? Because a lot of people are concerned and think that they might need to uh, to wear a mask now. Right. So just in the last week or so, Dr. Tam started talking about something she calls a non-medical mask, um, which would be a homemade mask, one that you're making with materials you have sort of lying around the house. Um, She explained this as being something made with materials such as cotton shirts, sheets or bandanas, you know, something that you have on hand. And um, it's typically fastened to your face, to your ears, using something like elastic bands or hair ties. And essentially, you know, they're all over the internet right now, but essentially you fold it up into sort of a long rectangle and then you slide your elastics or your hair ties onto either side and then you use that to sort of loop around your ears okay so traditionally we're talking about looping around the ears but are you telling me that if i have a a bandana in in the drawer that i'm never going into except for you know when we dress up in calgary for stampede (laughs) i could put that Mm -hmm. on and and wear a bandana so you know the, the rules are really when it comes to homemade masks there aren't any really any rules. Okay. Um, but experts for this reason, experts really want to hit the point home that very little is known about how effective they are at protecting you, the wearer. For one thing, you know, you should assume that it's actually not serving any purpose for you personally. If anything, placing um, a cloth or some other type of fabric between your mouth and nose and the rest of the world um, is preventing the spread of anything you might have. So one thing that we're learning and we've learned in the last couple of weeks about how COVID-19 spreads is that it's possible that asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic carriers of the virus can actually spread the virus without even knowing they have it. So this is a new concern for people. And that's why Dr. Tam has sort of shifted focus and started to say, you know, actually placing this cloth, even if it's not scientifically, you know, a medical or surgical mask, um, placing this cloth there can prevent those droplets from spreading from you to other people or to other surfaces, especially in places where physical distancing is near impossible. So I'm thinking of places like the grocery store. Mm -hmm. But if somebody, you know, as you said, the mask is going to stop you perhaps from spreading your droplets. But if someone is speaking moistly in front of you, (laughs) you may be able to inhale those droplets. Exactly. And, you know, this is one thing we know for sure about how COVID-19 spreads through mucous membranes. So um, touching your face, uh, mucous membranes being your eyes, nose and mouth. So even if you touch a surface or um, you were speaking closely to someone who had the virus and they spoke and a droplet landed in, let's say, your eye, that is a way that you could still contract it, whether or not you're wearing this bandana. So I think one thing experts really want to hit home is that um, wearing a homemade mask can't provide you a false sense of security. You should still be extra, extra vigilant about physical distancing as much as possible um, and uh, practicing that good hygiene that we've been talking about for months now.
the false sense of security is is one side of the coin, but the other could be that reminder to yourself to not touch your face mm-hmm. if you're wearing that to the grocery store. And it also um, maybe reminds those people around you to keep the distance. Absolutely. I do think the phys- uh, the visual reminder is great for people. But one thing actually, interestingly, to your point about touching your face, one thing that was brought up at one of the pressers earlier this week is that um, – Uh, there's some concern about people shifting the masks on their face because they're not used to wearing them. Mm -hmm. And the more that your hands are touching your face, the more you're just defeating the purpose of the mask in the first place. So I think, um, you know, again, health officials, the ministers we've been hearing from over the last few days really want to drive the point home that, um, you know, it doesn't hurt to wear these masks, but there are, there are, ways that you need to conduct yourself when you are wearing them. Um, And they're a bit worried, I think, that people will assume, oh, I have a mask on. It's a free-for-all. I Mm -hmm. can go and, you know, live my life normally. And that is simply not the case. Fair enough. You know, it's a good reminder. If you're going to wear a mask, do it properly. There's lots of guidelines online and how to clean your fabric mask as well, because you need to do that. So thanks for joining us, Megan. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. That's Megan Cauley. She's a national lifestyle reporter for Global News. Bernie Sanders has ended his presidential campaign in an announcement yesterday saying the path toward victory is virtually impossible. With the details, we're joined now by Global's Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Proskow. Good morning, Jackson. Good morning. Bernie Sanders in the end really had no choice, did he? No, he really didn't. I mean, it was becoming mathematically impossible that he would reach the number of delegates needed to uh, actually win the Democratic Party nomination. And of course, with the pandemic underway, voting in these state-to-state primaries had become more and more difficult. Uh, And there were even questions about whether the party uh, is going to be able to hold a convention this summer to select a nominee. So it just sort of seemed like, given the numbers, stepping aside was the right decision for him. And speaking of, Jackson, where's Joe Biden? Has he, because we don't hear anything about him in Canada. Has he actually been doing things down in the U.S.? Nobody is campaigning right now, obviously, because it's just not a great idea. He's been doing a lot of virtual appearances. So he does these uh, satellite appearances from his home or online town halls. Um, The other thing that's taking place right now is that uh, Biden has sort of created his own shadow coronavirus task force where he has assembled experts to come up with best advice as well. Uh, And Reportedly, Biden actually had a phone call with President Trump this week, and the two of them sort of talked, and um, Biden, I guess, passed on his best advice. Trump said it was a cordial call, but we don't know much more beyond that. Any word yet whether or not Bernie Sanders will be throwing his support and try to get his supporters on the Joe Biden wagon, uh, if or when that would happen? Yeah, no sense of when that might happen, but I think the the point is that he is out of the race earlier than he was in 2016. Uh, So what that means is that he's got the time to do that. He's got the time to make sure that his supporters, uh, even if they are disaffected by the fact that his campaign is over, uh, still, you know, fall in line and vote for the eventual nominee being Joe Biden. Jackson, given the current situation, could the U.S. election potentially be moved or is that not even possible? There is no mechanism in the Constitution for moving the date or pausing the date of the U.S. election. The big question right now, though, is how do you carry out the election if we're not in a place where people are supposed to be gathering together? Uh, Wisconsin just had a presidential primary this past week, and they were forced to go ahead and vote in person after the Supreme Court ruled that uh, they wouldn't extend uh, absentee or mail-in balloting. It was a disaster because so many poll workers were sick or refusing to go to work that there were a limited number of poll locations open. 
which meant lines of five and six hours for a primary where far fewer people vote. Uh, so there are growing calls for the U.S. to come up with some sort of mail-in balloting system. But President Trump keeps rejecting that. He keeps suggesting that mail-in balloting is not safe, it's not secure, even though he himself voted by mail-in ballot in Florida, where he is now a resident. Close to 15,000 deaths now in the USA due to COVID-19. And the hot spot has been New York City, but now we're seeing different areas popping up, whether it's Philadelphia or in through a Michigan uh, state. Uh, Michigan is, uh, is one of those places where there's pockets. It seems like uh, just when you think you might have a handle on one, the others are cropping up. Yeah, and in fact, we saw a huge surge in reported case numbers here in the Washington, D.C. area as well. Um, and the sort of expectation, I think, at this point is that uh, Washington, Baltimore are perhaps the next hotspot as well. Uh, the, the point is that, you know, this is not peaking all at the same time uh, in the same places. And that's why uh, experts keep saying you can't take your foot off the gas when it comes to social distancing, because uh, while New York is being hit really hard right now, you're right. Michigan is a huge source of outbreak. Uh, Florida may not see its peak until uh, several weeks from now. And so the point is, uh, if you relax those social distancing measures and allow people to travel again, it's just going to keep spreading that throughout the country. Are there any warnings or anything in place ahead of this weekend? Other than uh, the same advice that's already out there, which is, you know, stay home, uh, don't go out unless you absolutely need to, and don't travel. A lot of these things have become impossible on their own. I mean, they're, it's, it's pretty hard to get a flight anywhere these days because a lot of airlines just have stopped flying most routes. Uh, but generally speaking, they're saying, you know, don't... Uh, co-mingle from different households. So that means uh, if you're having a Passover Seder or an Easter dinner, do it long distance, right? Do it over FaceTime or Skype or Zoom. There were social distancing exemptions that we talked about earlier this week. I think there was a handful or a dozen states that were saying, oh, you can still go to church. Have those been tightened up ahead of Easter weekend or does it remain the same in, in uh, different states? No, there are still states where there are uh, religious exemptions in the social distancing guidelines. So even though 97% of Americans are under stay-at-home orders, several large states uh, say, yeah, you can still go to church. Religious institutions can still operate, though hard to find anybody who thinks it's actually a good idea to congregate with other people right now. That's crazy. Uh, President Trump threatening, threatening to cut off funding to the WHO, World Health Organization. He's placing blame directly on them. What's the latest on that? Yeah, hard to tell if this is a serious threat or just one of those things that Trump has said he's going to do but won't actually follow up with. Uh, very hard to know that's the case. I think the, the takeaway here is that Trump is sort of stinging from all the criticism that he and his administration are facing about how they've handled the response to COVID-19. He's looking for somebody to blame, and he's basically blaming WHO in the same way that, he, that his own administration is being blamed. He's blaming them for the same things that he is facing criticism for himself. Jackson, uh, stay safe and a uh, happy Easter weekend to you. Thank you. You as well. The fallout from this pandemic has hit Albertans hard and the ramifications will be long lasting, especially when it comes to our personal finances. So with some suggestions on what we should be doing right now to set ourselves up for success, we're joined by personal finance educator Kelly Keene. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Sue. Great to be with you and Andrew. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Really, Kelly, can we budget now during a pandemic? Oh, I, we hate that word. We, I hate that word at the best of times, but we need to look at our finances. <clears throat> that is paramount. Where is money going? When is it going out? What can you cut? Where can you get creative? Uh, call it a budget. Call it a, an emergency plan. Call it whatever you want. But, yeah, there, uh, I mean, your health obviously is the most important thing, but second to that is getting through this financially, which can cause 
so much stress physically and mentally um, for those going through the challenges that they are. And it varies widely, Kelly, because it depends on where you are. You may have been all uh, already out of work if you're living in Alberta. Uh, you may have recently lost your job during the pandemic. Some people are still working or working from home. Everybody has a different situation right now. Yeah, and I think almost everyone's affected, Andrew, either... Um, you know, like, it, it didn't matter if you had a solid contract. If you were in the gig economy doing well, I'm hearing from people right across the country, they don't even know if those contracts are worth, you know, the paper that they're signed on. They don't know if the businesses on the other side are going to be able to pay or not. People aren't answering the phone. They're not getting back to them via email. So there's a couple of things, guys. It's getting through if you are already in crisis situation and if you are kind of okay but you don't know what next week or next week is or next month is going to bring, how do you brace yourself and prepare when you just don't know what what's going to happen in the in the very near future? And you have the magic answers for us, Kelly. I've got some. I've got <laughs> some too. Okay, so let's talk about crisis. Crisis mode is where can you get as much cash in your hands or not expend out any cash? So is that um, deferring utilities, talking to your landlord if you're a renter, deferring payments with your bank. Um, the most important thing, guys, that, that people need to do if they're in crisis situation or if they don't know what next week brings, sit down right now um, with your spouse, figure out every single cent that needs to go out. What are your interest rates? What are your costs? What are you spending your money on? Then you've got to get on the phone or go online with the banks. Um, I've got lots of resources on my blogs and kind of what, what the banks are, are, are working with um, virtually or where you have to call them and figure out who's going to play ball with you, who's going to be flexible, who's not going to be flexible, and how much is that going to free up money into your bank account now to get you through. So that's really important. You don't want to um, be deferring over here if you don't have to, um, or paying something over here if you don't have to. Knowledge is power here. Getting organized is very, very important. Um, figuring out what government benefits you are eligible for, applying for those as quickly as possible to also get cash in your hands if you can. Um, and then, of course, what can you slash if um, you know, I mean, now is obviously not the time to slash your Netflix and, and maybe your cable, but if you've got several subscriptions, maybe you, you, you don't take it down to one. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people are reporting that they've spent all of their emergency savings on panic shopping, groceries and things of that sort. That's put them in a bind. So it's just being careful moving forward and figuring out where you are and who's going to be flexible. You mentioned the deferral, and if, if you have that opportunity and you need to, that that's great. But if you don't necessarily need to defer, I think we should underscore the fact that at some point you are going to owe these monies to the company or the city or whatever it might be. Yeah, Andrew, exactly. Um, a deferral is only if you need to. If, if you don't, keep paying your mortgage, keep paying your taxes. Exactly. It's not forgiveness. This is not forgiveness. And also, as the government has, has equally said, any of these programs that are in place, like the CERB, um, like it's, it's, you'll still be taxed on those dollars. And if you're not eligible, it's deemed later if you're not eligible, you may even have to pay it back. So this is where we want to slow down, get all the information you can. I know it's high panic for a lot of people, but it's really figuring out, like, 
Right, Andrew. So let's say it's not a deferral, but maybe mm-hmm. you can get your bank to, um, you know, lower your credit card interest rate. We heard last week or early this week, I don't even know what week we're in anymore, <laughs> as you probably don't either, that if you need help and you were, you know, electing to defer certain debts that the bank was slashing your credit card rate in half. Well, even if you're not deferring, why not call up your bank and see if they'll slash your credit card in half, your, your rate in half anyway? Like, why not take measures, even if they're not deferrals of property taxes, income taxes, payments, why not take advantage to go, hey, what can we do to cut back on, um, you know, either uh, the cost on debts, um, things that you're, you're spending money on that you don't have to right now? It's just a great time to line by line go through every single dollar. Excellent, helpful tips. Thank you, Kelly. Appreciate you joining us. Thanks, Sue and Andrew. Stay safe. Happy Easter. Stay safe. That's Kelly Keen, personal finance educator. You can go to our website, Kelly, K E L L E Y, Keen, K E E H N dot com.